0: I'm glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Nevin Neal. 27, beginning verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes came upon me, To eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Verse 4, 5 and 6. This is our, our text this morning. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. From the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore, will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy, I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. What is the difference between arrogance and confidence? What's the difference? There's one primary difference. There it is. It has everything to do with who you're putting your trust in. Arrogance is trust in self, trust in me, trust in my ability, in my physical or personal strength. May I say this? Every one of us will one day come to the end of our strength. It may be while we're walking this course of life before death that we realize the limitations of our strength in our flesh. Uh, but every one of us will ultimately come to the end of ourself. It's best to come to the end of ourselves sooner than later. At the great white throne, there are going to be people that have come to the end of themselves. They've ended up uh, in hell, and they'll stand before God and give an account. Uh, there are others who've lived their lives as saved people, but confident in their flesh and laying up wood, hay, and stubble that'll burn at the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ. Others, like David in the psalm, uh, realized at some point in his life that if God, if he was going to succeed at what God had given him to do, if he's going to succeed in life, he was going to have to have God enable him to do it. David had a lot of enemies. You start David's entire life, if you study, I've prayed about possibility of doing a, a series in the life of David. And if you study his life, it's characterized by his enemies. Uh, you start off, we're introduced to David in 1 Samuel 15, 16, 17. It's in chapter 16. He's anointed to be king. uh, Samuel has to anoint him secretly because if Saul finds out, he'll kill King uh, Samuel for anointing another king. David doesn't know he has an enemy, but the moment he's anointed king, it's not long after that he has an enemy in King Saul. But before King Saul was a guy named Goliath. He had the Philistines and Goliath and David slays Goliath. And then after becoming famous in Israel, Saul, the king, chases him around and tries to kill him, chasing him at 3,000 men. And then he's got the Philistines again. And then he's got the Amalekites who burned Ziklag and tried to kill him. And then his greatest enemy was the guy he looked at in the mirror. What Goliath failed to do to David and what Saul failed to do to David, David almost did himself to David by committing adultery with Bathsheba and covering up with the the killing of her husband. Following that, his own son became his enemy. David's life was characterized by being constantly fought against by enemies. May I say this, and I believe a lot of his problems he did create, no doubt. But I would say this, David had a tender heart toward God that responded correctly to God when confronted with sin, when confronted with what was right, when he writes Psalm 27, David is obviously in a position where he had enemies that were trying to eat him up. They are trying to devour him. May I say this, if you are saved this morning, if the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed your sin and Christ is your Savior, you are now the declared enemy of our foe called the devil. He wants to get after you, not because you're so special, but because he wants to get after God. Satan attacks God by attacking God's people. Now, you can't change the character of God, but you sure can. Uh, wreak havoc on God's people. And so, in this, David writes, you know what? His life boiled down to one desire. He said, Lord, one thing have I desired. Let me ask you this. If you this morning could be given a sheet of paper and you said, if God were going to give me one thing, what would it be? Now, I'm talking, what he's going to request is not a home in heaven. He's not talking, I believe David was already secured by faith. He says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What, what I'm preaching you on this morning is not salvation from an eternity in hell. I'm not preaching about, uh, although an eternal home in heaven is part of, the, uh, of having that. But David's talking about here in this text, fellowship with God. So if you this morning or I this morning could sincerely and honestly say, God says, Nevin, I'm going to grant you one request. And by the way, he did this with David's son, Solomon. What do you want? What would it be? What would I ask God for? When we have that one thing, David had lived long enough, been through enough that he boiled down, really, when it came down to it, he only needed one thing from God. Only one. How hard is that? I mean, honestly, wouldn't it help if God paid your bills? I mean, wouldn't it help if God helped your health? And wouldn't it help if He would you know, help you in that moment of temptation to overcome? And wouldn't it help if He would relieve some of the stresses and pressures in your life? And I mean, isn't there a lot of things that God could do for us that we wouldn't mind Him doing for us? But I believe often our mind is just in completely backwards. That's why we have to repent. That's why we have to maintain an attitude of repentance because we don't think right. What happens is we often want to use God to accomplish our purposes. We often want to use God as the, you know, if you're going to get something done, you need something that gives you effectiveness in doing it. And we often have a chart, uh, uh, a path laid out that we would like to live, uh, a life that we think is, is what is successful. And if we could just get God in our corner, so then we don't invite Him into our corner until there's something too big for us. And then that becomes the one thing. Lord, right now I could obtain and I could do and accomplish this if we had X amount of dollars, if we had this situation changed, if I had better health if I had better finances. So what we do is we call on God to help us in our situation when we need Him rather than realizing the only thing we need is Him. Period. End of story. That's why Jesus Christ is God's answer to the need, every need of man. Everything I need physically, spiritually, emotionally is found in Jesus Christ. By the way, we have to reach those points where we must rely on him in those aspects of life or we'll not recognize his sufficiency. The quote in the bulletin this morning is so accurate. To feel the sufficiency of the anchor, you must have the, feel the strength of the storm. It's just the truth of it. To know the brightness of the light of God's presence, you've got to go through the dark. Make sense? I'll be honest with you. Uh, we went into 2020 and a lot of pastors, churches, ministries chose 2020 vision as their theme. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it's 2020, 2020 vision. It makes sense. And I've said this numerous times, I'll keep saying it. We have better vision coming out of 2020 than we did going in. God did things for me last year that could have been accomplished no other way. And it wasn't just COVID in the nation. We had a number of things in life, personal life, family life, church life, nothing you know, dynamite that will blow the world up, but a lot of things, do you know what it ends up doing? Bringing, it brings things into focus. And I believe in his adversity, David had his focus very clear. As we've come into 2021, I've shared with you repeatedly my burden as the pastor of this church is that we would realize we need to be a single-minded church. have been preaching to you messages on one thing. Um, one thing is needful, needful. Jesus told Martha, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. A man needed uh, eternal life, and Jesus said it's one thing. It's Jesus Christ. Now, we know what I'm preaching to you is true, but practically how much do we accept it, believe it, and apply it in our lives? I believe one of the problems with American Christianity is we've become duplicitous. We're trying to figure out how to be worldlings and Christians at the same time. And I thank God, I think our culture is forcing us to choose. Are we going to be worldlings? Are we going to try to blend? Are we going to try to you know, be as close to the Lord as we can without breaking ties of loyalty to this old world? Or are we going to represent Him and walk in His will? And I'll just say this, in my own personal reading this morning, God so confirmed this theme in my own life and in this church that, you know what, our, where our focus needs to be in Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church is what does our Savior want? What does he want us to be as a church? What is his will? That's all that matters. All that matters today is the will and the mind of your Savior. Nothing else matters. And I believe it's where David was. By the way, I believe it was coming under duress from, from enemies, enemies. Many enemies who were stronger than he that forced him to live in complete and utter dependence upon the Lord. We talk about this. We, I believe, as Christians long for it because it's a desire that God's put in our heart. But God has to organize and work in the circumstances of our life to bring us to the point where we can pray with a sincere heart with David, one thing I desire, and that will I seek after. What am I seeking today? What what is it that I'm after? Is it many things or one thing? Now let's read the text again, verse 4. I'll give you three simple points, one in verse 4, one in verse 5, and one in verse 6. Verse 4, David says, he talks about in verses 1 through 3, he really sets the setting or the tone for the the condition of his life. He's under attack. He says, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What he's saying is, I am resting on the Lord uh, and Him. Not my circumstances, not my environment, not my resources. The Lord is who I'm looking for and two, to give me light and deliver me and give me strength. Verse 2, when the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh. He said, and by the way, that literally happened with David. His foes came upon him to eat him up. They stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, and that, that happened to him as well. My heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. What? Verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord... That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So he says one thing. sounds like a lot of things, but it's not. It's one thing. And that is to dwell in the house of the Lord. Here you find David's uh, petition to the Lord, his, if you would, the pursuit of his life. And what he says is, he says one thing about desire, but it wasn't just desired. He said this is the one thing. I've desired of the Lord. I'm I'm really only asking the Lord for one thing. One thing am I desired of the Lord. I want you to then see in this pursuit, in this petition, whatever word we want to use to to express the desire of David's heart, it is singular. That's the point. It's singular. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. So, For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A what? A double-minded man, James 1.8. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so the idea is that David's boiled it down. He says, what I'm seeking God and asking God for is just one thing. One thing of I desire to the Lord. And he said, that will I seek after. And just a few things. Again, it's a singular desire uh, he said, but it was also a sincere desire. He's, he is not simply asking God for it without him seeking it himself. It's there's very interesting in, in the Scripture. Let me be very clear again. Uh, when it comes to salvation, when you were dead in trespasses and sins, you weren't out seeking God. God came seeking you. So I want some clarity to this message. I am really preaching to those of you this morning that are believers in Jesus Christ. God has saved you from your sin. If that's not the case, you need to let the Lord save you today. And don't leave without letting someone help you receive God's gift of eternal life if you are ready to repent toward God and put your faith in Jesus Christ. But having said that, let me move forward. This is a message for Christians. And what happens is the Lord saves us, but often we have still got... We're like the children of Israel in Egypt. We have our eyes set toward the will of God, Canaan land. God was, by the way, was God with the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt? If You know your Bible. This is a group of people. Most of you know your Bibles pretty well when he came out of Egypt, was God with them? And he represented his presence by a cloud by day and fire by night. And yet, repeatedly, they longed to beware. Back in Egypt, even though the God who created water, the God who created the ingredients of bread, the God who created the quail that they would eat until they were sick of, was actually with them, they said, we would prefer being back in Egypt where life was... At least we we didn't have to make decisions. We didn't have to live by faith. Someone else told us what to do. We would rather go back to Egypt. And all they could remember about their former life as slaves was the smell of garlic and leeks and onions. Man, if we were back there, we would have a life that is more uh, exciting. We would have a life with more variety. Variety is the spice of life. Here it's man in the morning, man at night, Water to drink, manna, manna, manna. We've been wearing the same shoes since we left. I mean, they were bored with God's will, and so they got to where, yeah, they wanted to be free, but they, 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 they began to look back toward where they came from. There are times that we are discontented with our God, with His leadership in our lives, with His direction, and we want more than Him. <laughs> He is not sufficient or contenting. He is sufficient, but we have not found our sufficiency in Him. We're still looking to what the world can provide us to satisfy lusts, not sincere desires. It's something about adversity that makes you cull out the things that don't matter. It amazes me, most people on their deathbed are not talking about what they're going to have for breakfast tomorrow. They're talking about What's going to happen when I breathe my last breath? If they have the consciousness to do so. They are talking about, what about my loved ones? What about my wife? What about my children? Uh, what Most of them aren't even talking about their stuff. That's what everybody else is talking about. They are concerned with what really matters. What I'm trying to say to you this morning is David is very focused. He has a singular desire and he says, Lord, one thing have I desired of the Lord. He knew who had to grant it, but then he said that will I seek after. It's a singular desire, not multiple things. I'm not asking God for this and this and this and this. I just want one thing. I desire it and I know he's the one to grant it, but I'm going to seek after it. Matthew chapter 7 verse 7 says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 8 says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Uh, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your life be turned into mourning, your joy into heaviness. I remember when my wife and I were courting Dating, I don't know what you want to call it. We were serious about one another, but not yet married, not quite yet engaged. And I guess it was probably fairly early on in our relationship, but we knew each other well when we started dating, courting, whatever word you want to use, Uh, when we were a thing, right? We were official. And I remember shortly into that thinking, now does she still truly have the interest in me that I have in her? Some of you may not remember thinking that way, and I don't i don't know if I've ever shared this, I have with her, but I remember thinking, I'm not sure. She was very busy. She was in class and doing this and that. And I thought, I want to know. I want to know if she's humoring me or if she is seriously, if she likes me as much as I like her. So I kind of pulled off a little bit, and I thought, I want to see, will she initiate some conversation back? And that wasn't probably as logical in my mind. It was more, I'm not sure, I want to see. And all I'm trying to do is illustrate this. I was not interested, even as a kid, I mean, I was young, but I was not interested in being in a relationship with someone that wasn't truly interested in being in that with me. You with me? I believe we learned that from the Lord. The Lord says, I believe this, the Lord will be as close to you as you want him to be. You will be as close to him as you want to be. You can know him as well as you want to. You can be as near him, and by this I mean in fellowship. You find two people, you know I'm speaking figuratively. You can be as close to God as you want to be, as as harmonious and in fellowship and near him as you want to be, and David had decided, I want to be. What David says is, I want something from the Lord, and I am going to take the initiative to pursue it, expecting him to give it to me. If you want fellowship with God, if you want closeness to the Lord, where God communes with you, where God directs your steps, where God comforts you in night seasons, where God shields you in the enemy, friend, you've got to purposely and intentionally pursue that matter. You say, well, God sought me. Yes, He did. But as His child, He says to you, now you seek me. You ask, I'll give. You ask this, will He give with us, without us asking then? Friend, you didn't even get salvation without asking. Right? God is a great giver, but He only gives to people who trust. And our asking is an expression, I trust you. I want what you want for me. I believe God wanted David to dwell in his house. I believe that God wanted David near, but David said, I want it. One thing, it was a singular desire. It was a sincere desire. One thing have I desire to the Lord, that will I seek after. Now, here's what it is. Here is the the, the essence of his petition. Here, it, it's rocket sun, That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, I got a question. Do you think David meant, here's what I want to do. Every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I want to have a bed and such inside the temple. At that time, the temple wasn't even built. It was a tabernacle. How many of you know this? Technically... And legally, David wasn't allowed inside the physical tabernacle. He wasn't a Levite. He was of the tribe of Judah. He said, well, he was king. It doesn't matter. Another king later went in the temple and he got thrown out with leprosy. The tribe of Judah were not servants. In, so he's not talking about literally staying inside that physical tabernacle. At that time, it wasn't even pitched. The ark, as far as I know, was in the Philistine lands at this time, or it was at least off in the, land, uh, in the house of Obed-Edom. And so, David's not talking about physically living in the tabernacle. What he means is, you think about it this way. If I said, um, Jim and Jeff, I want to live with you. Say, Pastor, we like you. And if you want to come visit our house, that's great. You want to come stay? You don't have a place to sleep? We'll put you up. How do you know it's a different ballgame if I say that I want to live with you? That is different. We've had family members stay for five or six weeks family members that we are very close to. We love, we think alike, we eat alike, we enjoy a lot of the same things. But you let somebody stay in your house five, six weeks, and that's a challenge. I don't care how much you love them and how much they love you. When you want to live with somebody, let me say this. If somebody said, if we had some kid and they said, hey, pastor, I want to live at your house. I'd say, you sure you know what you're asking for? Because you come to my house, you got to live by our rules. Now, we got good rules that will protect you and provide for you and show you love. We want to have better rules and improve on the ones we got. But the fact is, when you live at somebody else's house, you live under their authority. It's their house. Notice what David didn't say. He didn't say, one thing about desire to the Lord, that will I seek after, that the Lord may dwell at my house all the days of my life. It's because he wasn't an American Christian. He wasn't trying to lead God around. He wasn't trying to get God to come bless his plans. He said, I want to be accepted by God as a child in a household. I want to be a household member of God. Isn't that what salvation is? When God says, you are away from me, you are stray from me, you're my enemy, and you say, you know what, I'm tired of being your enemy. I don't want to be your enemy. I want to be your child. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. You know what, you live at somebody's house when they're your dad. What David is saying is, I want not only household position, I want to dwell with God. Meaning, by the way, what is the character of God? When you live in somebody's house, you are going to have to be okay with their character. You think about what it took physically to enter into the tabernacle. Just bear with me for a minute this morning. What it took physically to enter into the tabernacle was, first you came to this thing called a brazen altar. Before you ever got into God's house, the place where God would meet with man, God said, you are not in your current state. You are not fit to come into my presence. That's the whole message of the tabernacle. There was a brazen altar, and before you could get into the beauty of holiness, you had to go through the ugliness of blood sacrifice. God said, you've got to deal with the ugliness of your sin before you can behold the beauty of my holiness. One of the reasons folks never see God is because their hearts are not pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, how does man get his heart pure? It he must be washed with the blood of Jesus Christ. None other way. So you come to that brazen altar, and they had to either slay a, if you were poor, pigeon doves, a pigeon or turtle doves, or a lamb or a he goat or a bullock, depending on your offering. But that sin offering had to be made. Your hands had to be laid on that to to acknowledge I am transferring my guilt to this innocent substitute. And then before your eyes it was slain and the blood was shed and it was put on the altar and burned to symbolize God's attitude toward our sin. Yes? And God's provision for it being erased. The innocent had to die for the guilty. We're talking about going into the presence of God. You couldn't just bypass the brazen altar, go wash up at the laver and step on in. You could not get to the second piece of furniture, which is the laver, where you would practically get your outside matching what had just happened to you on the inside. At the brazen altar, the sacrifice was made, the blood was shed, and, uh, you are acknowledging I'm a sinner unfit for God's holiness, but I put faith in His provision for my sin, a blood sacrifice substituted in my place, and God says, now you can go, come step, you can come near me. And so we step on, there's a laver. So my conscience is clear, but you know what? If I've just come past the blood sacrifice, I've probably got some crud on me. And I look into that brazen laver and it lets me see myself. And there's water inside and I get a look at myself. It's a picture of the Word of God. And I take the water that's in there and I start cleaning myself up. Why? Because I'm stepping near a holy God. And then you go beyond there and there's the table of showbread where you're going to be strengthened with the bread so you may commune with God. And there's light so that you can see clearly God's not hiding from us and concealing who He truly is. And there's the altar of incense which represents prayer. By the Word of God and the light of God's Word and by the the washing of God's Word, we enter into God's presence. Am I making sense? And David said, that's the one thing I want. I want to be so close to God that I can behold Him. I don't want to be on the outs. I don't want to be distant. I don't want God to be a mere uh, concept of my mind. I want Him to be a practical reality of my soul. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. And you know what he said? He said, All the days of my life. I don't just want to dwell in the house of the Lord this week because I'm having some difficulties. I want to dwell in the house. You know what he's saying? I have made a a once-in-a-lifetime decision. And it's the only thing I want. I want to be near God. Is this not what Jesus meant when he said, except a man hate father, mother, wife, children, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Is he not saying you've got to want one thing? You've got to want and trust that I am the only thing you need. Many times we're no different than Buddhists and we put Jesus on a shelf with all our other gods. You with me? He's right up there with our bank account. He's right up there with other things that we trust and love. No, no, friend, he's had the preeminence, meaning one thing. David said, I have a desire, I have a petition, I have a pursuit. It's singular, It is sincere, and he said, here's the substance of it, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? So that God can share all his riches with me. And no, this is more of the sincerity of his request, to behold the beauty of the Lord. Now, we think beauty, and we think of some beauty pageant and women, and we've cheapened the concept. Have you ever seen architecture, and you say, that is beautiful architecture. The kids came back from Peru, and they have pictures of buildings. It's just amazing, the architectural work. And to me, I look at that and say, it's beautiful. By that I mean it's majestic, it's grand, it's, it's, it, it shows such character. I believe this, the closer you get to God, the more beautiful He becomes. And I don't mean that in a cheap manner. I mean it this way. You, how many of us know you're just looking to meet the person who is always just And true in all their judgments. Meaning when they make a decision, you know it's not tainted in any shape or form by respective persons. How many of you just, you meet somebody that represents that kind of equity. Not nonsensical communistic equality. They have no idea what equality is. But I'm talking about equity. And we long for those characteristics in other people. We may even long for it in ourselves. Inevitably, what we believe is beautiful in character, we're always disappointed with when it comes to people. You can find a person that has beauty of character, but it somewhere is flawed. True? Every person you know has flawed character, except God. Jesus Christ, not one blemish in his character. The more you... I heard a man say the other day, a seasoned preacher, and he was just talking about his personal Bible, and he said he reads the Bible through once a month, every 30 days through his Bible. He said, don't think that's some great thing, by the way. He said, you think about how many pages you read in some novel or in some sports magazine. He says about 30 pages a day in my Bible. It's not a big deal. It really is not. And he was sincere. But he said, one of the things that happens is as you read through, he said, you're, you're, he says, the only book I know that you could read every 30 days and enjoy it every time you read it. And it's true. If it were physically possible to read through your Bible every day, it would never get old. Now, it's not physically possible, but if it were, you'd never get tired of it. If you're reading it with a sincere heart. Here's why. Because it unveils to us who God is in the, in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The more I study Christ, the more any false impression of Him, I, I pray that, Lord, there are many false images of you in this world. But you know where you get the true image of Him? Right out of this book and right out of your prayer closet. And so what David is saying is, one thing about desire to the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I want to be under your roof. I want to be under your authority, under your provision, under your protection, under your care. You don't ask to live with somebody unless you have tremendous confidence in their character. I remember when I was little, I mean little, four or five, we had two children that stayed with us for a couple of weeks. I'll never forget this. My my parents... Talk about it. I have just different memories of those kids being with us. What it was, they were foster children. They were in a foster home. And their foster parents were going on vacation and could not take the kids with them. So they asked if my parents would watch after them. They could stay in our home. These kids would have been abused. When they came in their home, they wouldn't talk. You'd ask them a question they wouldn't answer. Uh, they, it was, p- wondered if perhaps they were autistic. It wasn't known. That was back in the early to mid 80s when I don't know how well known autism was, but these kids came in our home and I remember my mom would speak to them. They wouldn't answer. We'd talk to them. They wouldn't answer. They acted very reserved. And you can understand they came from bad situations. But the longer they stayed in our home, my mom would interact with them, let her bake cookies with them, and with her. And us kids played with them. And I, to, to my knowledge, we all just loved them. We were told the kind of situation they were coming out of. And I have just vague memories. But I remember them staying with us. And the longer they stayed, the more comfortable they became. There were were rules for them they had to follow. Uh, They had certain meals and so forth. And within some period of time, I don't know how long it took, the little girl started talking to my mom. And then she would talk more and more. But I remember the day they left. I still ingrained in my memory that little girl crying and clinging to my mom said no no and calling her mama my mom said never 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 again will i do that those children were heartbroken they wanted to live with us now tell me why they were content they knew they were safe they had confidence and trust in my parents why because they were loved you know what god is slandered On every side. Satan has so many voices saying God is cruel, God is vindictive, God is a dictator. That is only your perception of God when you are a rebel. Only Satan would have that perspective of God. God will cast you out if you don't do things his way. You would know, wouldn't he? Here's the point. Satan casts his own character on God and says that's what God is. Because that's what he thinks God should be. Because <laughs> he thinks he should be God. And I'm just trying to say this this morning. The closer you get to God, the more content you'll be with who he is and just dwelling in his house. So then, my point is that David had a, he had a petition. He had a, he had a pursuit. It was singular. It was sincere. Uh, the substance of it was this. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. It was a once and for all decision to do this. To behold the beauty of the Lord... I want to see God. I want to know Him and comprehend just how marvelous He is. If I said today you had the opportunity to see, to actually go lay eyes on the seven wonders of the world, would anybody be interested? Now that kind of thing might interest you. you say, I like this saying right here in Boundary County. If I had the literal opportunity, somebody said, Pastor, you know what, we're going to uh you're going to go, somebody's going to offer to send you to the Holy Land, and you actually get to go see the place, I'd say, ha! Oh, I would love that. that'd be cool, that'd be neat. That's an earthly experience. Do you realize you can truly know God? You can be close enough to the Lord, not only to know him, but to behold his beauty, the beauty of holiness. And so then David said, that's what I want. And then he says, not only to behold, but to inquire. You know what he's saying? God has what I need. The reason he only needed one thing is because he knew all things else he needed were in God. They were in Christ. You know what? I need righteousness today. God has provided that to me in Jesus Christ. I need strength today, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. God has provided the strength I need in the person of Jesus Christ. I need wisdom today for decisions. God has provided that to me through His Son, Jesus Christ, by His Holy Spirit. Everything I need is in Him. You know why David only wanted one thing? Because everything else is in the one thing. In Jesus, you know what? People say, you know what? If I could get my marriage straightened out, I'd give the Lord more time. You'll never get there. People get things backwards. If I, you know, I, I remember talking to a man one time. We were talking to him about being in church more faithfully. I said, you know, seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things should be added unto you. He said, I just can't stay up on my bills. I can't stay up on my bills. And we just have to work. We have to work 70 hours a week. And he's talking to me. I said, look, you know what? Why don't you just make the Lord the priority of your life and doing His will and see what He won't do. I can't, if I ever get my finances straightened out, I'll think about getting in church more. You end up moving somewhere else, we work harder. May I say this? If I, when I get my personal life in order, then, then I'll seek the Lord. No, you make God your priority and He'll fix what's wrong. In Him is all we need. And David understood this. He did not need an army, he needed God. He did not listen. David did not say, Lord, uh, one thing I desire, and that will I seek after, a life free of conflict. He didn't ask for that. You know what? I know there's been a season in my life that's what I wanted. If I can master the Christian life correctly, you know, juggle balls while running a chainsaw, we might be able to have a conflict-free life. You reckon? I'll pray that. I'm at a point and I'm not arrived. I promise you that. But God has been merciful enough. I don't want a conflict-free life. I want my Savior to walk me through the conflict. I don't want a trouble-free life. I want my God to bring me through my troubles. I don't want a a weakness-free life. I want my God to give me strength. Amen? I believe that's what David is saying. Lord, I'm not asking you to make my enemies go away. I'm asking you to let me be close enough to you that you will take care of my enemies. And if we're looking for that in this life, all the days of this life, I ask you, what do you want in life? You want a life free of troubles? Friend, that's not till heaven. So one thing is what we need, nearness to our God. Nearness to our God. We want to maintain just enough closeness to get His resources and just enough distance to not suffer persecution. Yes. Isn't that not where Peter was the night that he denied the Lord? Let me stay close enough that I am still his disciple, but far enough away that nobody else knows. We need to be near God. David said, One thing about desire, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He said, I want to be near God and I'm seeking it. Number two, we not only see his pursuit, but we see his persuasion. Verse 5, for in the time of trouble, in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. Notice he didn't say, if I'm close to him, I won't have any troubles. He said, when trouble comes, I'll be close enough to God that he can protect me from the trouble. You see, I've given this illustration before, but I remember one time I was about 12, 13 years old, and I was out. We had a lot of area to run and hike when I was a kid, so I grew up in the woods. Half the time, literally, I was your barefoot Tennessee hillbilly kid running around in blue jeans and bare feet over the acreage behind our house. I just I lived back there as much as I could, endure the agony of school and go to God's good woods. Amen. That's good preaching right there. (laughs) So what I do, I was out in the woods, and I don't remember why. Probably I was playing like a Davy Crockett or something. And we had a spring probably a mile from our house. And I had permission to be back there, and I'm back there by the old spring, and a storm cut loose. Now, you guys who've lived on the East Coast, when I say a thunderstorm cut loose, you know what I mean. They come out of nowhere, and they come with a vengeance. So it? Clash of lightning and thunder and... I thought, what do I do? I'm a mile from the house. It's lightning. There's thunder. I'm 12, maybe, 11. And I knew back there there was a bluff. And that bluff hung out maybe six, eight feet and it had a nice dry dirt, clay dirt floor up under it. And I knew it was right nearby. I ran up the hill and I crawled up under that bluff till the storm passed by. What happened is there was lightning. There was thunder. There was dangers that could have killed me, and I sat there enjoying that with all my heart. Because I knew if a tree fell, it wasn't going to hurt me. I had a bluff that had been standing there for thousands of years untouched. And I was dry, I was safe, secure, and at complete peace. Now, had I been out from outside of that shelter, I'd have been terrified. In fact, I was until I got in. Here's the thing. Friends, I don't believe our storms are going to decrease between now and when Jesus comes. I just don't think so. So we figure out, better figure out what is the one thing we need? A better politician? A better political environment? More religious liberty? Or nearness to God? One thing I desire, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple so I can ask him for what I need. Why? For in the time of trouble, when it comes, not if it comes, when it comes, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. He said, whether it's floods from above, he'll hide me. If it's floods from beneath, he'll set me up. You know what? If you're going to have a flood, you need a high rock. Right? Anybody know what flash floods are? A lot of east coastlines, we've flash floods around here. We're in mountain country. Flash floods, you can die in a hurry. You need high ground. God is a cave in the side of the mountain or he's high ground above the floods. No matter what the trouble is, what David is saying is, I'm not asking for a life free of the floods of the enemies just to be near God. That's it. His persuasion is, I know that I can trust the Lord. It's simple. I know that the Lord is and will be what I need. And so all I want is one thing, just to be near Him. He's my safety in the storm. He's my rock in the midst of a flood. And this is not figurative speech so we can sound flowery and feel good. This is; These are facts to live by. Do you realize God and His Son Jesus Christ and by this book has laid out the path for you to be that close to Him? The provision has been made so that practically today you can come into the presence of God and come away and say, I am so glad that I can talk to my God and He hears my prayer. You know what David's saying? I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of people losing their joy right now. I think we have such an opportunity to demonstrate what true joy is. True joy is not a better year than 2020. True joy is me being close enough to God to see Him move on my behalf. That's true joy. Oh, may God help us see it that way. So His persuasion was, in the time of trouble, He'll hide me. In the secret of His tabernacle shall He hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. Verse 6, and now, not later, and now shall mine head be lifted up. Above mine enemies, round about me. All David is saying is, I am confident God is greater than my enemies. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Yes? Is that rhetoric or is it fact? How many of us can see that Satan is on the march in our nation? I don't think there's a person in this room, including our young people, that don't understand that Satan is on the march in this nation. And you can go, oh, no. Or we can say, you know, it's a good time to make one thing my goal. In 2021, as we enter into this year, there's one thing we ought to be focused on, and that is my relationship to my God. You say, I can't be close to him. Oh, my. There are things that I like that he hates. There are things that I enjoy that he despises. There are things that I do that are sin. Then repent. You know what repentance is? We talked about it in our, in our home last night. I didn't realize Miss Mary was teaching on it. I forgot. In her class this morning. Repentance is an attitude of heart that results in a turn. i talking to my children about it. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. From the womb, you know what way we go? Our own way. Repentance is when we say, I've gone my own way long enough and I'm going God's way. Instead of running from God, from His will, from His way, from His character, I'm going to turn and, and run to Him. Now, what is the connecting path between my way and God's way? His name is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way. What gets me from where I am to where He is? Repent. Jesus came to grant, to bless us in giving us repentance, in turning every one of us from our iniquities. My point is this this morning. David says this, he says, In the time of trouble I have confidence that God will deliver me, He will protect me, He'll shield me, He'll lift me, and my head will be above mine enemies. You know what he's saying? I don't have it yet, but I'm certain that if I'm near God, He will give me the victory over my enemies. Now what are our enemies this morning? David's enemies were named Saul. His enemies were named uh, the Philistines. And while we could name some of our enemies probably, people that represent evil in this country, our enemies are truly the flesh, the world and Satan. Satan is an intelligent foe. He's got thousands of years of intelligence gathering on us, doesn't he? He sees a type like me and he says, oh, oh, "Oh, I know what works on Nevin. I know, I know how to get him off course. Just push this button and watch what happens." He's been studying people like me for thousands of years. Intellectually, I'm no match for him. But if I'm near God, God will shield me and defend me and give me victory. My flesh, I don't know about you, but the nature I was born with is as rotten as anything can be. If it were not for the indwelling presence of God, I would be nasty. Wouldn't you? My flesh craves horrid things, but I thank God that He saved me from that and turned me from that. And I don't have to be intimidated by my flesh. I don't preach on the flesh so people say, Oh, no, you have to sin. Oh, no, no, hey, if you're saved, you have a Savior. You say, how do I overcome the flesh? Get close to God. Search Him in your Bible. Search Him in prayer. If He shows you there's something that's keeping you distant, go to the labor of God's Word and get it washed off. Whatever's keeping you distant from your God, get it out of the way. One thing, one thing, one thing if I desired, that will I seek after. Oh, I say this, if a young person can say, you know what? I'm going to make nearness to God the goal of my life, period. That's it. God will solve your your marriage. He'll he'll give you the right mate. He'll direct you into the right career path. And I'm not saying it'll turn out the way the world says it. It Maybe He doesn't give you marriage. He may do something different. But whatever He does with your life will be right. So it's best early on not to make money your goal, not to make pleasure your goal, not to make fame your goal, not to make comfort in this life your goal. Make nearness to God the goal of your life through preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, he says in verse 6, Therefore, and this, this is, if you would, it's, it's his purpose to praise God. Verse 6, Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. Yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. How can he say this? Because he knows God is faithful. He says, When God delivers me from my enemies, when God shields me, When God hears me, when I inquire, because He has said, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. How many times do we pray and we say, Well, Lord, I'm going to ask because I don't know what else to do, and I hope it works. We need to pray in faith. God says, Ask, and it shall be given. You seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. And we should ask, expecting to receive. Unless we're asking amiss to consume on our lusts. David says, I am expecting. I am planning on. It is my plan and purpose after you have done what you promised to do, I'm going to have joy. You know what? There is joy in seeing God deliver us from our enemies. There's joy in seeing God keep his word. He said, therefore, will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. He said, I'm going to have a day. Right now, I'm in the midst of the conflict. But the day is coming when I'm going to say, look what God did. When I'm gonna offer a sacrifice of joy, I'm gonna open my lips and say, man, I got something to tell you about. Uh, Satan had helped me, caused me to believe a lie that I was defeated in sin and Satan had caused me to believe that the world was come to an end and whatever it may be, but I, I obeyed God and submitted to God and I'm trusting Him through Christ Jesus and look what He did. You see, that is genuine praise. Not trying to create something that we think about God, but literally testifying to his dealings with us in our life. George Mueller has volumes of pages that are nothing more than documenting answered prayers. You know why? Because he said one thing. Even George Mueller, his one thing was not big orphanages. Do you realize orphanages were not Mueller's goal? Mueller's goal was to serve God, and that's what God gave him to do. His reason for praying and depending on God in prayer is he said, I want people to see there is a prayer hearing God in heaven. And I want the way he deals with me to demonstrate it. You know what? We have a lot of religious ideology today. I'm not real interested in that this morning. We have a living God. Jesus Christ is alive. And I am interested in him demonstrating that truth in my life. How about you? I want people to say, you know what? I would doubt God if I didn't know What he's done for that one. Yes. David said I'm going to offer. Not I hope. He said I will because I know God is faithful. I will offer the sacrifices of joy. It's just a matter of time. It's a matter of time. I will offer uh, in the tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. Yea, I will sing praises to the Lord. You know I don't think it was appropriate to sing right then. He's under distress. But he says I'm going to when God has done what he's promised to do. You know what? I can say that. In heaven, there is a new song sung. One day, one day, when you and I have made the Lord our goal, and we're in heaven and delivered from all of this, don't you want to sing sincerely and say, this is what I was meaning, this is what I was after? But even before then, in this life, we can know victory. It's what David said all the days of my life, but then verse 14 is the key to everything you just said. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Wait on who? He said, one thing I desire to the Lord, that will I seek after He's waiting for the Lord to do what he's asked him for. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. In verse 6, repeatedly, he says, I will, I will, I will. You know what David's doing at this point? Waiting on the Lord to do what the Lord promised to do. The Lord had promised to be our shield and our defender, our buckler and our, our high tower. That's what he promised David. David, I do not promise that you'll have no foes. I promise to defend you from them. I do not promise you a life free of trouble. I promise to deliver you out of it. And if we'll flee to God on the other side, when we've waited on Him, He will not fail to keep His word. Truth? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40, 31. How about it this morning? You got that blank piece of paper. And the Lord says one thing. One thing I'll give you. Would you want one of His resources? Or would you want Him? Worship is saying I want the Lord because everything else I need is simply in Him. By the way, Christ lives today to give us access to the very presence of God. Is that not why? That's His ministry to us as believers today. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may attain mercy and find grace to have help in time of need. How many times does God through trouble reveal that we really want what He has more than we want Him? What would you think about a woman you found out? She says, oh, I'm in love with this young man. We're engaged to be married. And then all of a sudden, he is involved in an accident at work. He loses his job. He has, spends all his money trying to repair his broken body. And she says, well, I think I need to move on somewhere else. Does she really love him or does she want what he had? Yeah, sometimes it's us and God. One thing I desire of the Lord that will I seek after that he may dwell in my house all the days of my life to give me the things I ask him for. No, no. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold his beauty and inquire in his temple.